Once again, I'm glad that you're here, glad we get to be together, that we get to study together. We're going to go to Romans 1. You know, I was thinking while I was uh, singing, we were singing a few minutes ago, uh, to you young people sitting up here, you know, I appreciate you guys sitting there. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, a uh, couple of rows, uh, neatly gender segregated, and that's um, pretty, uh, pretty cool. Seriously, I'm, I really do appreciate you guys being there. That, uh, that's just pretty neat, and I appreciate all of you. Um, you ever wanted to, have you ever wanted to, like, cut, cut up your Bible? You don't have to admit this out loud. You ever wanted to, like, take some of the verses out of it? I, I, it's okay. It's okay if you have. I don't mean that you've done it, or I, I don't mean that's a bad thing. I just mean that I think there's this human tendency to want to look the other way with some of the stuff in, in the Bible, because some of it's pretty hard to swallow, pretty tough. If people have done that, we've talked about some of it before, you know, literally. I mean, uh, J- Thomas Jefferson famously, you know, cut up some of the Gospels to get out the supernatural part because he, you know, I think he would have been called a deist. Maybe he called himself a deist. I don't know. Uh, and, and that is that God doesn't really do things like that. He has never done things like that. And so Jefferson uh, cut up a copy of the New Testament you know, in some sort of a literal kind of way to get rid of the supernatural, the miracles and all that. I know we've talked about Marcion before, a second century Christian who was acknowledged as a heretic by, by the church of that day because he wanted uh, he, his canon. Like when, when, he, when they were trying to figure out what, what books need to be in the Bible, well, Marcion's canon was pretty small because... He wanted to get rid of um, a, a lot of the Old Testament kind of stuff and, and, and the New Testament that had too much Old Testament in it. He wanted to reduce the size of the New Testament to get rid of a lot of the Old Testament stuff. There was a pretty famous preacher in southern southern part of the U.S. who uh, a few years back famously, if you read such things, famously uh, said, we as Christians, if we're going to reach the new generation, if we're going to reach our 21st century world, we've got to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And so we need to kind of get rid of that and need to stop talking about the Old Testament because our people can't handle that now. And if we're going to do evangelism in our present American climate, then we got to get rid of the Old Testament because there's a lot of negative stuff there, a lot of violence, a lot of anger, you know. So we got to, we got to, we got to do that. we got to get rid of it. We, I think, rightly point our fingers at such blatant picking and choosing and say, you can't do that. can't do that. You, cannot, you can't cut out the first two-thirds of the Bible. You can't, you can't cut out the parts you don't like. But while I'm pointing my finger of accusation at these folks, I must acknowledge I have a tendency to do something similar, if not quite so blatant, because there are parts of it I don't like. There are things Jesus said I wish he hadn't said. There are things God did I wish he hadn't done. So what do we do with it? What do we do with these over 600 statements about the wrath of God in the Bible, both Old and New Testaments? What what do we do with that? I think we've got to do something with it. We believe the whole Bible is inspired, you know? I I don't think God has left us the option of saying... 
well, you know what, the parts you like, that's inspired, and the other parts, well, you know, that's the product of, a, of an unenlightened era. That's what, that's what some folks say today, you know, that the Old Testament, that's the, that's the product of ancient Near Eastern people groups who weren't enlightened. They, they understood God in some sense to be capricious like the ancient people did, you know, like the Babylonians did or the Persians did or the Assyrians did or whatever. And then go, go forward a little bit farther than that, like the Greek and the Roman pantheon of gods with Zeus hurling thunderbolts, you know, lightning bolts. Uh, that, that's, that's God. You've got to be careful not to make him angry because he will get you. How many of us grew up in churches or homes where the wrath of God got a lot of attention? Maybe we recoil, maybe, maybe we rightly recoil at that kind of presentation of a loving God as if he is mostly characterized by his anger when people do bad things. He wants to get you. We heard um, a mom in a grocery store say to her misbehaving child once, God doesn't love you when you're bad. I'd like to correct that kind of thinking. You know, I, 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 I hate for that little two or three or four year old, however old the little child was, I hate for him or her to grow up in that kind of environment where he or she thinks that God is, is, is uh, that God doesn't love him or her when that child is bad. What do we do with it? You know, what do we do with the wrath of God? What, do, we, do, we, do we just get rid of it? I, I feel that pressure sometimes. I feel that that pressure because you and I, I mean, maybe you feel it as well. We, we know the world we live in, and we know this doesn't play well. This doesn't play well in a 21st century enlightened American culture. It doesn't play well. It doesn't look good. It's not the look we want. And we see stuff going on, and we see churches that are picketing funerals and holding up signs on marches where God hates fill-in-the-blank, right? We see that, and we don't want to be associated with that. And rightly, we don't want to be associated with that kind of hate and that kind of anger. God doesn't hate people when they're bad. But what do we do with all of this wrath? That's what we're going to kind of wrestle with this morning. I'm not... I don't, I don't have so much confidence in my own ability that I'm going to say we're going to solve all the problems this morning. But I want to try for the next few minutes for us to wrestle with it, to think about it, and for us not to, to say, well, I don't like it and so I'm going to ignore it. Or I don't like it and so I'm not going to talk about it. I'm, not going, to, I'm going to kind of cut that part of the Bible out over 600 references. You know, I, I, just, I, don't, I, I, I don't view the Bible like that. I don't think you do either that we have that option before us. How do we think about the wrath of God? Let's, let's wrestle with this for a little bit this morning. It's a very biblical thing. And by the way, if you're following along with us in the one-word devotional book readings, members of, uh, of our congregation have been given a copy of this devotional book, and we're reading it together, and it has a different word of emphasis every week. We're on week four, and the, week, and the word for week four is wrath. And that's why I'm preaching on it this morning as we go into this week of reading. And then next Sunday evening, we'll come back and we will reflect on the past two weeks and thinking about sin and, and wrath. And so uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to kind of us talking about this together. But that's why I chose this topic for today, because it's in our readings. 
I really already talked about what's on the screen behind me. It, it contradicts Western sensibilities. It does, you know. I mean, we, we got to acknowledge that. We, we are culturally sensitive or culturally aware. We know the kind of world we live in. And we want to make sure that we, uh, as best we can, we present the gospel in categories and in terms and in phrases and in ways that make it palatable. But we don't ignore parts of the gospel or parts of Scripture just because we don't want to offend modern sensibilities. So we have to be careful here. We want to be culturally sensitive, but we also want to be faithful to Scripture. That's the tension that we feel in the church today is, is that kind of you know wrestling with recognizing the world as it is, understanding the Bible as it is, and trying our best to present God's story to a world that sometimes is going to get offended by that story. It ought never to happen because we do so insensitively. It ought never to do so because we emphasize, overemphasize certain aspects and underemphasize certain other equally biblical aspects, right? But we want to be aware. It, is, it contradicts modern Western sensibilities. But as I've already said this morning, it's referred to in Scripture, God's wrath is hundreds of times, some 600 times directly. But if you brought in all the passages that seem to be talking about God's wrath, but not necessarily naming it, you go way above that. And, and so, as I've mentioned a couple of times, I don't think we can take those 600 passages, one of which we read this morning, that Jeff read at the beginning of our worship in Romans 1. I don't think that I can take my penknife and I can cut out verse 18 of Romans 1 from Scripture. It's there. Instead of cutting it out, i got to deal with it. you got to deal with it. we got to talk about it and think about it, right? Scripture reveals, talks about it over hundreds of times, several hundreds of times. Let's look at, then at, at Romans. Let's look at, uh, at Romans 1. Uh, the text that we read earlier. I mean, let me go back and bring in a little bit more for us. Romans 1:16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. First, the power of God to salvation, everyone who believes, Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. You know, the, the, the biblical story, you know what it's about? It's about God wanting to save you. That's, that's what it's about. It's not about God wanting to condemn you. God doesn't want to be separated from any of you, no matter what you've done. He doesn't want that. And that needs to be clear. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the biblical story is about what God is doing to bring us back to him. Not so that he might come up with more rules that we can break, so that he can have another excuse to separate himself from us, send us to hell, punish us, do bad things to us, or whatever. <coughs> I know that in some church circles and in some depictions of God, these caricatures of God, they present this, this God who is angry and he's mad at you and he just can't wait for you to no, break another one of his rules. And if you get most of them right, he'll come up with a few more so he can come up with one that you're going to break consistently. That's not the God that's presented in Scripture. No part of Scripture. Story from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, as Paul kind of summarizes here in Romans 1.16, it is about what God is doing in the gospel to, to bring about reconciliation while remaining true to his nature. God is a righteous God, a just God, a loving God. What can God do in his nature, consistent with his nature, to bring you and me back to him in our rebellion while remaining true to his righteous and just and loving character? What can he do? That's what the Bible's about. And that's what, particularly what Romans is about. And so Paul writes this letter, and he's, uh, he's, he's kind of wrestling with this. He's saying, how can God, who is perfectly holy, 
He cannot look favorably upon sin. He cannot be in the presence of rebellion in, in an intimate kind of way. He can't dwell with you and me while we are shaking our fist in his face. He cannot do that. It is inconsistent with God's holy nature for, his, for him to be separated from sin and rebellion. But at the same time, God not only is holy, but God is loving. God is characterized, in fact, 1 John 4, 8, in other passages, God is love. God is love. And what that love means, if you understand this biblically, is God wants, God loves you. Warts and all. He loves you as you are. Don't ever forget that. He loves you as you are. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing right now, no matter who you are, God loves you. He created you in His image, and He loves you more than you can even fathom. God is love. That is His nature. He cannot help but love you. So how can a God who is holy, perfectly holy, infinitely holy, and a God who is love infinitely and perfectly love, how can God bring us in our sinfulness back into his presence while being consistent with his nature of holiness and love? How can he do that? Paul explores that in the book of Romans. And he starts out this little, I mean, this uh, you know, pretty detailed and in some ways, it was most comprehensive, certainly, Paul's treatment of this idea uh, he, he starts out in Romans 1. He says the gospel is where the answer is. And we're going to find our way there at the end of this. And that's where we'll, we'll end this lesson on God's wrath. But <laughs> he starts in, um, in, in our text, Romans 1.18. And he says, but you look, at, you look at what God has done. This is, this is how God feels about rebellion. God's wrath has been revealed from heaven. Uh, I don't know how to get around that verse. It's... Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of, of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God responds to that kind of rebellion and that kind of distortion with what the Bible calls wrath. Now, I will come, come back to this in a second, but I want to just foreshadow a bit. I wish we had a different word besides wrath to use. And I'm going to give you some definitions in a second. But Because when I think of wrath, when you think of wrath, we inevitably filter our understanding of wrath through our own experiences. And so, if you grew up in a home where your dad or your mom, your caregiver was angry with you, often, capriciously, without warning, inconsistently. And then you hear stories about the wrath of God. You naturally think, I don't really want to be associated with that kind of God. Because we, we interpret wrath through our own human categories. We, we've experienced this in our homes, in the world. We've seen anger. We've seen what it can do. We've seen child abuse, perhaps. We've seen violence. And we've seen what human anger does. And then we hear about God being angry, and we think, I don't want anything to do with that. I think that's this natural kind of response from people I disagree with when they say we need to get rid of the Old Testament, I understand that impulse. What they're saying is 
we need to stop emphasizing God is a God of wrath because that's not palatable. That pushes people away. So I, I feel that I feel that impulse, don't you, right? You feel that kind of desire. I don't want to do anything that's going to cause people to turn away from God. But we've got the text. The wrath of God. I'm going to come back to that idea of, of, of God's anger being like human anger in a minute, because it's not. But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against rebellion, against ungodliness and un, unrighteousness of men. He goes on and he says there are things that you see in the world, these kind of natural, natural um, uh, consequences of sin. He talks about sexual sin in the rest of Romans 1. He talks about envy and murder in verse 29, strife, deceit, maliciousness, uh, gossip, slander, hate, insolence, haughtiness, boastfulness, people who invent evil, people who are disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Ah, that list is pretty rough. God's wrath responds to that kind of rebellion. And God punishes. It's a personal thing with God. Now, well, let's I'll tell you what. Go on, turn, turn the page or go down to uh, chapter 2. Chapter 2. I just want you to see how it's emphasized here. Romans 2, 5. But because of your... This is a very personal thing with Paul. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. What do we do with that? God, in some sense, responds to our rebellion when we persist in it. It provokes wrath within God. We'll try to think about what that means as we go through this. Let me give you some observations here, okay? Some observations for us about this. Number one, here's, here's one idea. God's wrath is real in both the Old and New Testaments. So going back to what I've said a couple times, you know, with, with Marcion or with contemporaries today, um, let's, say, let's say you could cut out the first 39 books of the Bible. All right, so you get rid of it. Do you fix the problem? Uh, so, so I get rid of you know the Canaanite deal in Joshua, where where God sends Israel in. You know, I get rid of that. I get, get rid of a lot of the statements from the prophets about the anger of God. I, you know, I get rid of all that. And so I've I've cut out Genesis one one through Malachi four, last verse of Malachi four. Cut out two thirds of the Bible. So now I'm just left with a God of love, right? Well, that's a little bit of a manipulative question because what you've got in the New Testament is, according to one writer, you've got in the New Testament, well, let me back up. In the Old Testament, you've got the love of God and you've got wrath of God in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you know what you've got? You've got the love of God and the wrath of God multiplied, intensified. And I'll show you how that works in a second. You don't get rid of the problem by cutting up the Bible in some sort of neat categories. Because you've got passages like this in Romans 1. You've got, you've got this one in Revelation 14, last book of the Bible. This is in the New Testament, of course. Revelation 14, 10 says, He also, this is the person who obstinately continues and persists in rebellion against God, He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of His anger. Do you hear that? You take the wine of God's wrath and you pour it 
in the cup of his anger. That's kind of intense, isn't it? The wine is wrath, the cup is anger, and you pour the wrath into the anger and you drink that. That's one of the ones I'd cut out, by the way. This is the person who persists in that kind of rebellion. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. That's Revelation 14, 10 and 11. And what, you know, what John is seeing there is this God's wrath being poured out on those who are hurting Christians, killing Christians. This, this world, this uh, nation state that has allied itself, aligned itself against God. That kind of rebellion and persisting in that, God's anger is poured out on that kind of spirit. But it's there. It's in the Old and New Testament. Here's the second observation. God's wrath is not like our anger. I want to pause here for a second because I want you to get this I think this is one of our biggest problems here because we have all been the recipients of negative actions associated with someone's unjust anger whether that came in your home from mom or dad or grandparent uncle and aunt sibling whatever caregiver somebody at work some of you have been harmed by others wrath in the workplace we witness it on TV and in the news all the time. We see what anger does. It breaks up homes, it hurts little kids. You have battered wives. Violence, murder. We see that, right? So then we're presented with the wrath of God and we naturally think, oh, okay, here's my experience with anger. And so I take that experience and I put it onto God when I hear the same words being used. But we need to be very careful with that because the Bible doesn't speak about God's anger in the same way that it talks about human anger. Here's the way J.I. Packer puts it. He says, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil, end quote. Did you hear that? I think Packer's right on that. That God's anger is never the kind of human anger that we ourselves have experienced. Everybody in this room has been angry. You've been angry when you, when you shouldn't have been angry. We all have. This kind of indulgent, self-interested, selfish kind of anger, that is not what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about God's anger, God's wrath. It is not that. So often the wrath or the anger that we think about in human terms, it's a very selfish thing. It's a, someone flying off his or her handle, losing the temper, you know, acting violently with hands, with weapons, or with words. That's not God. You know, the thing, um, I think I've said this before, this helps me as I sort through this. You know, the Bible calls God love. 1 John 4, 8 and other places. God is love. God is love. Again and again, God is love. The Bible never says God is anger or God is wrath. 
It is not a part of his essential nature. Part of God's essential nature is God is love. God is just. God is holy. God is never anger. That does not characterize him. Here's the thing. And there's a third observation. When you talk about, when, you, when the Bible talks about God's wrath, God's wrath is provoked. It, listen to this. God's wrath is God's love in action against sin. I like that definition here. It helps me to sort through this. God is never anger. He's never characterized by, he's never uh, defined by anger, but rather he is love, he is just, he is he is holy, but wrath is something that flows out of the love of God. God loves, therefore, He is angry with those things that hurt God's creation, us. Um, let me give you another definition. This is from John Stott. John Stott says this, the wrath of God is his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. All right? Let me read it again. This, this is a good definition. It is his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. If I can use a, an earthly human illustration that's inadequate, but maybe it helps us kind of flirt with some understanding of this. It is, if, 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 if I, as a husband and a father, saw something that was threatening the life of my wife and the lives of my kids, if I truly love them, I will act in ways that are characterized by anger. Not toward them, but, but toward that evil that is threatening them. Sometimes that with, let me take for example, my children. If my children are being caught up in things that are evil and that can threaten to destroy them, I will be angry at what sin is doing to them. I will love them with all of my heart. Nothing can ever take that away. But I might be angry with what they're doing because they're giving in to the evil that is pervasive in the world. Can we distinguish it like that? I know that's inadequate, but maybe it, it helps us a little bit to think about what God's wrath is like. It is not God is looking for a reason to get angry with you. He's not, he's not coming up with more rules. He's not trying to... You know, he doesn't hate, fill in the blank. God doesn't, God doesn't do that. That's not who God is. God is love, but anger is God's love in action against evil because that evil hurts the object of God's love. Now, go to Romans 3 with me. Man, I know, man, I know this is so much more that could be said and could be said better. But I hope that as we think about this, that we, we will no longer feel the urge to, to cut, cut this out of the Bible, but rather we'll sort through it. We'll deal with it. We'll, it'll be hard, you know. Our finite minds can't fully 
can't grasp an infinite God. We, we can't do that. We can't get our minds around God. It's never going to happen. But God reveals himself to us in ways where we can grasp. Sometimes we strive and we try and we fall short, but, but God invites us to put forth the effort to try to understand him. And in the exercise of that effort, we find what God wants us to find. We draw ourselves, we find ourselves being drawn closer to this God who is love, this God who is holy, this God who is just, this God who acts out of wrath toward that evil that hurts us. That's the kind of God we serve. The fourth observation is this. God's wrath is satisfied in Christ. Romans 3, uh, this is the last of the, you know, the first section of Romans, the first three chapters. And in it, uh, Romans 3, let's just look at it briefly. Romans 3, 21. Um, he says, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Skip down to verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you, that's, that's me, all of us are there. But, but we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What Paul has just done in Romans 1, 2, and 3 is he said, and God's wrath is poured out on rebellion and yet people persist in it and you've got the whole world is falling up in this sort of thing. Uh, Romans 1, you've got even God's Israelite people, the people he had called out of, you know, uh, out of nothing into a people, the Israelite people, they also, though God has been patient with them, they also have fallen into this rebellion. We're all in the same boat, and the boat is called sin and rebellion. We're all in the same boat. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Paul comes to that conclusion in Romans 3, 23. So where are we? Hopelessly lost, right? No. Because God in his love chose to act toward evil out of wrath. And this is why I think the most beautiful image of love that you can ever imagine is found at Calvary on the cross. But I believe that we also should see that that is where God's anger Wrath flowing out of his love for you and me, that love, the provocation of his love, is being poured out and letting evil have, it, have its way with God himself. And so the sun wouldn't shine. And so the earth itself from beneath was convulsing in an earthquake. The darkness filled the land. And Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it is at that moment when we think about God's love, we see God's love in action there on the cross where evil without boundaries is poured out on God himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Crying with the psalmist of Psalm 22, it seems as if you have abandoned me. And in some infinite way beyond the grasp of our finite minds, 
we look from our perspective and we see there the love of God being manifested in the wrath of God toward evil and sin in the world, but God stepping in to take in himself the consequences of evil. And Paul says, therein is the righteousness of God revealed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of that. We don't have anything to be ashamed of today. We don't have to try to soften up God's nature. When we can communicate this in biblical ways, with biblical words and these images, I hope that our world, we can't, we can't take this away, that our world will be able to see that it's at the cross that we find the nature of God most beautifully and most fully pictured. God himself taking in himself, in his body, the substance of evil so that you and I would be granted forgiveness. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed. There is the love and the holiness and the justice of God. It finds, they find their fruition, their beautiful display in an ugly event at the cross. And so you and I, in Christ, we don't fear the wrath of God. The wrath of God has been fully satisfied, been poured out on himself. God has absorbed that in himself. There's no wrath for a child of God. There's no wrath. Because you and I, in Christ, will receive the love that Jesus earned instead of the punishment that our sins deserve. That is the gospel of Christ. Wrath of God is, I guess it's hard. It's hard for us to think about, hard for us to talk about. But I hope that we'll see through this, this short little sketch here that at the cross, there, there's, there's our answer. And it's a difficult, in some ways, a difficult answer because we feel guilt. We feel, man, that's what happened because of me. Yeah. Your sin and my, my sin found their consequences in the crucifixion of God himself. God Son of God, Jesus Christ, taking in himself the punishment for what you and I have done so that God can grant you and me salvation, redemption, forgiveness. And he will say to us on that final day, come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If you're not a Christian this morning, I hope in this exploring a difficult subject, I hope maybe it's, it's caused you to, to think and maybe it's cause you to explore some of this more, if we can share with you in maybe a more personal way some of what God is doing in the world and what he wants to do in your life. We'd love that opportunity. If you come this morning as one who recognizes that you're outside of Christ and God has drawn you to him through the crucifixion of Jesus and you want to come and identify with him and call him your Lord and Savior, put him on in baptism as you die to self and are buried in water and raised up to walk a new life, we would be absolutely thrilled to be able to join with you in that and help you in your obedience to, to the gospel of Christ. Maybe you as one who's done that, you've, you've rebelled against him again and gone back into the world and served a, a Lord, the Lord of the world that you once turned your back on, but you've gone back. Why don't you come home to him today? God is and always will be a God of infinite and perfect love who hates everything that hurts you. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come now. Let's stand. Let's sing this song together.